0: This is the Emerging Women podcast where we become inspired to live and lead from the truth of who we are. We're creating a new paradigm for power that includes the feminine perspective because the world needs it. Hello and welcome, Brenda.
1: How are you? I thank you, Chantal. How are you?
0: I'm so good. It's so fun to be here and deep and meaningful to be here on this podcast with you.
1: Thank you. It's wonderful to be with you as always.
0: So, by way of full disclosure to the Emerging Women audience, I will say that not only is Brenda Ungerland a very accomplished psychotherapist and psychologist and workshop leader and thought leader in the area of post-traumatic development. She's been doing this work for many decades and she has a lot of uh, training through Columbia and Harvard and uh, she's traveled the world and she brings a, a unique balance of Um, Eastern and Western spirituality to just the hard science of psychology and how we evolve as human beings. So not only does she have these amazing credentials, this is also my mother-in-law. She is the mother of the man I married. And I just feel so honored and lucky to have such a very cool and deep and insightful mother-in-law and it's been just such a journey. So welcome Brenda.
1: Thank you so much Shanta, and thank you for inviting me to be here. I appreciate it. Yes
0: and Brenda's new book is called Post Traumatic Growth Thriving in the Face of Adversity and it's such a great guide for the times that we're facing now because when we think of trauma Brenda and I don't know if you have perspective on this that might be slightly different in the age of this pandemic, but in the past, we would think of like the big stuff, right? The, you know, people who've had, I don't know, abuse or an accident or so many things that, that just seem larger than life. Um, but since the pandemic, I wonder if, and, and maybe maybe, since you're, you, you've you already had this, but for me, who's a lay person in this world of, of psychotherapy, I'm always the one who's hiring the therapist, um, you know, it, it feels like traumas don't have to be that big, they can be s- small and aggregate over time, such as the, the feeling of trauma that collectively and individually a lot of us are feeling through this pandemic. So maybe we should start there. And you could launch in a little bit on what you mean by trauma in this book.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a great introduction, Chantal, and, you know, completely relevant and to the to the to this very moment. Um, and it raises the point about trauma which we can now clarify some misconceptions around because you're right, many people think of trauma as, oh, you know, I was in a horrible car accident and this, this catastrophic thing happened. Of course, yes, that's trauma. But there are you know, many forms of very severe trauma that many people experience. But what gets overlooked is the day-to-day, every day cumulative trauma. And we, when we talk about trauma, We're we're thinking about three different factors here with everyday trauma. And that's intensity, duration, and frequency. Duration, frequency, and intensity. Those are the three factors. So when you think of what's happened during this pandemic, it's been a combination of all three. In some cases, it's been intensity because someone who we know and love has become sick or we have become a sick ourselves, or someone has who we know and love has died, Um, or we live with the threat of that happening. So that's the intensity component to this pandemic. It's not um, like a minor concern. It's a very, very serious, intense concern. So there's the intensity piece. Then you have the frequency. How frequently are we pounded with a reminder of this. Well, every, how about just about every day for the last, you know, year and a half, two years, we've been, we've been dealing with this. So we have the duration piece. It's extended over a, 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 a period of time. That's very significant. And then thirdly, um, well, that's the frequency part is the fact that, um, We've, we've been hit with this day after day after day, and then the third thing, duration. It's lasted this long, so you have those three factors, and cumulatively, they are the the um, have the equivalent detrimental impact on your physiology and your emotional um, uh, state and spiritual state. They're all impacted by this, you know, in a a profound way. So even though there's not been one isolated incident here, that combination of those three factors, duration, frequency, and intensity has made this pandemic a source of trauma for many, many people to varying degrees, but just about nobody's unaffected by it. Mm -hmm. And um, it also has to do with the, the, the amount of burden that any of us, can, has to carry around at any given time. So we have our day-to-day concerns, our relationships, our jobs, our children, our, our financial situations. All of these things, our our well-being, our health. All these things are are concerns and 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 sometimes burdens that we have to um, you know give attention to and sometimes be drained by the efforts in those areas. Then heap on top of that the pandemic. It's a recipe for um, a tremendous burden, physically and, and psychologically. And it's played out with all kinds of relationship problems. So many people, true, some people have gotten closer during the pandemic in their relationships, but many people have, had, have been very challenged by the, by the extent of the one-on-one time with their spouse or family members and found it to be, you know, really hard. So I don't know, does that answer your question to some degree?
0: Yeah, it does. And it also, I think when we can look at the work that you do in terms of, and and we can stretch our definition of of trauma um, Mm -hmm. in a way that feels more personal and relative, Mm -hmm. right? Because the, the pandemic is not the only trauma That we're feeling. I mean, each one of us has our own lives, and um, and when we when we pay attention to things that we would not really put a label of trauma on, and um, and treat them in a way that uh, you know brings more attention, more awareness, more mindfulness um, to it. I think we can become more resilient and, like you say, thrive in the face of adversity. Mm-hmm. We don't have to have some big, huge event happen to us to apply this kind of work. And in fact, being healthy and
1: thriving means that we do this work even for the small stuff. Absolutely, Chantal, especially for the small stuff, just because of that whole point and the, the cumulative effect. The small stuff adds up and, yeah. and you know, becomes monumental. And there's there's an ancient metaphor around this where they, and I think it's out of ancient India, actually, regarding everyday life is the great, they talk about it as the great grinding wheel of life. That's either going to polish you as like a diamond or it's going to grind you to bits, all depending on how you lean into it, how you interact with it. Mm -hmm. So depending on your relationship to that great grinding wheel of life, it's going to make you a stronger, more resilient person, or it's going to shred you. And, and the, the critical piece is how will you relate to it? How will you respond to it in a way that is skillful and mindful and mm-hmm. strengthens you rather than tears you apart and tears you down? That's, that's exactly the, the pivotal moment of challenge right there, the mm-hmm. everyday stress.
0: Mm-hmm
1: and you know every time we let go of something every time a concern or a burden that well first of all let me just say this that it's 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 kind of a known fact that people spend probably 50% of their time preparing for the future agonizing about it or managing it doing all kinds of things to get their 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 next steps in place. So you know whether it's job related or family related, whatever, fifty percent of your time is focused on the future. And forty percent of the time, you're looking back and comparing things from the past and and um, making com- compare doing compare and contrast with that and, and 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 there's not to say that there isn't an argument for a certain amount of past and future, that serves mm-hmm. a purpose too. Mm-hmm. but what this means is that frequently we're spending only 10% of the time truly present in the present moment. Mm-hmm. And the goal of mindfulness is expand is to expand that 10% that's in the present moment to a larger percentage where you're still preparing for the future because you need to, you still have to, you know, live your plan your life and live your life. Mm -hmm. but you're doing it sort of with one leg in both worlds. You're both um, meeting the exigencies of life on one hand. And on the other hand, you're really in your body. You're aware of tension beginning to um, show up in your body contraction. Maybe it's in your neck, maybe it's in your shoulders or your forehead or your gut and being that body awareness, that mindfulness and body awareness and then breathing and releasing it, every time you let go of some excess stress, you're liberating yourself from that burden. Hmm. So if you, if you can let go of 10% of the things that, that you agonize about, but can do nothing about, which is really the area of concern.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. actually I should back up and say, Frequently, people will ask the question, is fear always bad? I mean, that's, you know, a perennial, a perennial question. Is, is fear always a bad thing? Mm-hmm. And, the exactly. answer, and the answer to that is not at all. I mean, sometimes you feel fear because it's a call to action, because there's something that you need to do. And, and, and it's waking you up to the fact that you need to do something right now to rectify a situation, to, to respond to it, whatever. Mm-hmm. So feeling fear that the, the key, the skillful uh, relationship to fear is to notice the fear and be able to differentiate. Is this a call to action or am I just ruminating? Am I just rehashing some fear that I've had for who knows how long, maybe decades, or maybe only months, maybe only weeks, but mm-hmm. it's been coming back to you again and again, and it, and you've done what you can do about it. If you have done what you can do about it to manage it, then it's time to let it go. Mm-hmm. Because if you're getting pounded by a recurring fear, you have nothing to show for that. That's like useless worry. You have nothing to show for it, except it wears you down. hmm so, it, it's, it's sort of that, that awareness thing of noticing that you're in a, in, a, in a fearful state, an anxiety state, discerning, discernment comes in here. Is it, is it a call to action or is it just, you know, my inner alarmist coming after me here? Because we all have an inner alarmist that we have to kind of be kind to and quiet down. Right. But not take orders from never take orders from your inner alarmist. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you want to skillfully deal with, interact with that, that part of you that sends out the alarms and, and get back into your body, breathe, and then refocus.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If The thought was bogus. You just refocus, but first, yeah. first you have to calm your body. You can't any amount of, of like scolding yourself cognitively, gets you nowhere. You have to drop into your body when you're in a place of fear. Stop, breathe, deep cleansing in-breath, slow letting-go out-breaths, and return to your physical body grounded. and Feel the shift as you breathe deeply. Feel the shift. It's only when you make that shift that you can access your best wisdom, your best, your highest intelligence. You don't even have access to that when you're in an anxiety state. So that's the argument for, for awareness, mindfulness, coming to your body, breathing, letting things go, and then reframing, you know, um, recognizing that you are catastrophizing or you are whatever it is that you were doing, whatever quote cognitive, cognitive distortion you were trapped in, recognizing that, letting it go, liberating yourself from that and then just coming back. And if you want to really um, uh, get it, get even more impact from that exercise you finish it with an with an affirmation Affirmation, you know affirmations can be very powerful if they are truthful if they are truthful they have to really be truthful and realistic we we affirmations have a bad have acquired a bad reputation because there are a lot of people pushing for affirmations that are completely unachievable and 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 you're you know your body knows that's not real and it doesn't buy into it. But if you can have affirmations that are really um, absolutely truthful and irrefutable, they, w- they will fortify you. They will strengthen you. And um, even things like, I don't like it, but I can handle it. To be able to say that to yourself, something, say something's happening that's just, you know, going in a direction you don't want it to, and you and you and you have to just keep moving through it, but you can't change it. you You have to be able to say to yourself or you can. There's the option to say to yourself, "I don't like it, but I can handle it." Every time you say that, after you've breathed and calmed yourself, you say, "I don't like it, but I can handle it, it reinforces that that, yes, something stressful is happening but you are stronger than that um than that issue that's coming at you you are stronger than that and um and the fact is you can handle it you absolutely can so um
0: wonderful let me just speak to the to your book a little bit because you have okay. you have 7 steps in this and the first step is um, and I don't even know if this is a step, but it's, it's a stage of, a stage. Yeah. you know, of immobilization when we're feeling trauma, we feel stuck and, I'm stuck, yeah. Um, and then, and then you have the, the second step or the phase, which is unraveling and breaking down. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's interesting that we often stay stuck because we're, we have so much fear around the breaking down. We have fear around the chaos, like you say, the chaos of that. And and so I think that what you've just illustrated is that mindfulness and some of the practices that you so beautifully rendered here today um, are ways that we can face that fear of the chaos and the breaking down without Mm -hmm. falling apart, because it sounds like that is an absolute necessary step if we want to grow from these traumas whether they're huge or they're they're micro traumas that are happening over time
1: so true I love that term micro traumas did you just make that up Chantal
0: well yes I mean <laughs> but
1: I love it like it's a so brilliant apt. term <laughs> it's so, no it's so apt micro traumas that we we tend to think it's nothing but yes it it, it adds up in it and it Every time a little micro trauma happens, it could be a signal to you to practice relating more skillfully. And and in that process, you just become more and more and more resilient. And you're right about that that fear around breaking down is terrifying. But one of the when I did this book, I interviewed a lot of individuals who described the, that very dynamic of until they just let themselves sob or, or uh, s- sort of um, fully acknowledge how, how messed up the situation was, until they gave themselves permission to do that, they just stayed stuck. They were just, you know, plodding forward and nothing was getting better. And it was, and and they were feeling poorly and their energy was off and they were, you know, everything about it was negative. One of the people, although I was just about to say, I interviewed a lot of individuals, you know, hundreds, but I also individ, interviewed a number of highly respected um, elders in this field. Um, a woman, just an astonishing woman who was in her well into her nineties, who was like, um, I, I, she was so respected. She, this was in New Canaan. And uh, f- for her point of view and her, um, her wisdom, anyway, she and this other guy who was also in his 90s, so both of them said something similar, which is this, you cannot have a breakthrough unless you have a breakdown. You have to, have the, you have to allow the breakdown first if you want to have a breakthrough. You have to be able to tolerate the unraveling. And the best way to tolerate that is, is because you've been developing these skills. You've been breathing. You've been, mm-hmm. and you have a vision. You have a, you have a, so one of the things that people, I'm, the feedback that I'm getting about this book um, is that when people are, and when individuals are going through something awful, one of the most unsettling aspects is that they have no clear sense of where this is going. Like, where the hell is this going? Is this just suffering for suffering's sake? Or is this suffering potentially taking me somewhere?
0: You mean when you say this, you're talking about the breakdown phase?
1: Yeah, the breakdown phase. And also, well, the even the immobilization, well, the immobilization is just. Something happens or something is happening, and Mm -hmm. you're just overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. You're just overwhelmed. During the unraveling and the surrendering, I would say, it is very reassuring to people to to, um, connect with information, whether it's through a book or a therapist or whatever source, connect with, with a source of, of fortification, so to speak, that says, depending on how you handle what's happening, this suffering will serve you. You're suffering now. You, it's the, some suffering is unavoidable in life. The question is whether you're suffering with no, um, to no avail or whether it's taking you somewhere. And even, even Carl Jung, and uh, just uh, focused on that point to say that suffering just for the sake of suffering is just neurotic. It's just neurotic. There are people that think, Oh yeah, I'll just carry my cross here, you know, and totally, I'll get a reward in heaven. Well, not really. I mean, that's a, that's a story you've been told perhaps, but suffering, just sheer suffering without, without a vision and without a blueprint for where you could go with it. Um, it does not serve you. It just wears you down and it's not virtuous. It's just neurotic. But to be able to accept that a certain amount of suffering life is inevitable, but that if you, if you relate to it, um, if uh, skillfully, it can serve you tremendously. It can serve you tremendously. And that's what happens during the kind of surrendering phase breaking open phase
0: well what do you say you say you have a uh, a line in your book where you you talk about this like threshold moving Mm -hmm. imperceptibly forward it almost feels like you can't even track it but you're moving and you have the quote that i love but by Anais nin and that is and the time came when remaining tight inside the bud became harder than the risk it took to bloom.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, that's a great that's the
0: threshold great... of when you decide. Wait a minute, there's growth here for me. Yes, and that's when we start to move forward.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's an amazing quote, isn't it? The imagery is. I is, love it. It's so accurate and it's beautiful, and and because you know, we came here to blossom and bloom. We didn't come here to just suffer and die, right? We came here to, to um, evolve. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and you, there's a pot price that everyone pays for that. And that, is, that's, that price is, is paid during the breaking, the, the breaking open, the breaking down and breaking open, where you have to look at some of your old premises that may have served you fairly well in life up until this crisis, but they're really not serving you anymore. You have evolved past them and now you you need a bigger vision. You need to, you know, it involves opening up to life, seeking seeking input from a a broader array of sources that you had in, that you received in, in your culture of origin. Not to put down cultures of origin, but, that's only a launch pad. What we do, if we are seekers, it involves being open to wisdom that comes from every imaginable direction. Mm. Um, there's a great democracy to wisdom. It, it can come from the most random places. It can, it can come from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and not to be, you know, s- have snobbery about where, where you, the source of inspiration might come from. But anyway... Um, yeah, eventually it becomes. If you're lucky, it becomes too painful to stay small. Mm-hmm. Now, David White has a lovely poem about this too, um, where he says, uh, "And I think it's in the book too. I think I quoted him in the book. Let me just look. I can." Yeah, find I'd it.
0: love for you to read it.
1: Well, I, I before I even find the page, I know it in my head. He yeah. ends the poem. The, the the poem is a beautiful, exquisite poem, and and it is in the book. It's called, it's called. Um, the name of the poem is "Sweet Darkness." Mm. Sweet Darkness. This, this is a poem that just could knock you into another stratosphere. Okay, <laughs> I'm serious, Chantal. Yes. Yeah, and I trained with him. I did a lot of training with David White in the early days. You know, in the mm-hmm. in the '90s and stuff, and He's the real deal. But anyway, here's how the poem ends. He says, the world was made to be free in. Give up all other worlds except the one to which you truly belong. Sometimes it takes the darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn that anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. Take that last sentence, that last phrase right there. Anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you.
0: Love that.
1: Isn't that something? And yeah, yeah, when you hear, when you read that and you sit with that and think about it, It's an invitation to look at some of the operating premises of your life
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that that kept you safe when you were 13 or whatever, or Mm -hmm. 21, Mm -hmm. or you name it. But here you are, whatever age you are. And by the way, there's no end to the opening up to this. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, I'm working with someone, a brilliant woman, um, a, a patient of mine, client of mine, who's in, she's 80, she's 85. She's Mm -hmm. a brilliant woman, but she's like a kid in a candy shop with this book. Because even though she has she's a highly evolved and developed person, we all we all have our blind spots, right? Mm -hmm. We all have our blind spots. And any book or any person or any, as I said, any source of any piece of poetry that strikes a chord. And, and touches the edges of your blind spot and makes you think, wait a minute, mm-hmm. what is keeping me small here? Why am I confined by this expectation or maybe this obligation that, that I, I, I can drop? Maybe I can let it go. If you could let go of 10% of that stuff, you'd be 10% liberated. If you could let go of 40% of that stuff that keeps you small, you'd be 40% liberated and just keep, just keep ramping it up for yourself. Right. (laughs) Just keep ramping it up. (laughs) (laughs) The more you let go, the more you, you um, can liberate yourself. And then you, you kind of recover in a way. There's a feeling of recovery of recovering, from you, who you have the potential to be,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you're reco- re you're reclaiming that, you're reclaiming that, and recovering, you're uncovering that and reclaiming it mm-hmm. as you recover, and then from there you go to celebration.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Then you have celebration in life. You truly do.
0: Mm-hmm. It's yeah, and that can happen over and over and over again.
1: Exactly, and that is the point. So many times in our lives, um, over and over and over, it just comes to us in different forms, but but the dynamic recurs again and again and again and again and again. So it's like really worth it to give give your all to whatever your crisis de jour is. Mm-hmm. Give your all to it because you're going to meet. The dragon, again, in a different form, you know, it's always coming to you in a slightly different form. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you're not going to, you know, as long as you live, as long as you live there, there is no end to the opening up to this, to, to enlightenment and wisdom.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There is no end to the opening up to it. You could be 90. I once had a patient who was, I, I saw her until she was 92. She was still discovering, still opening up still finding new things to laugh uproariously about when she was 92. Oh
0: wonderful yes. that's true. so inspiring. I love it. It's right? true. so I mean all the more reason that we need to limber up sisters. <laughs> you bet. Hello, lovely listeners. I want to pause for a moment here to make sure that you know how you can get even more access to this type of inspiration and support. Emerging Women has its own membership community where you get teachings from incredible female leaders and coaching support directly from me, as well as other brilliant members within the Emerging Women Tribe every month. If you are ready to go deeper into your own leadership and emerging journey, head over to EmergingWomen.com for a free trial of our membership community. We've truly designed it as a hub for women like you who want to create change in the world. Don't go it alone, sisters. Head over to EmergingWomen.com forward slash membership and start your free trial today. Now, let's get back to our
1: conversation. Yes, and I, I should there's one little piece that I left out that I that I should um, that I should include in that when you're when you're letting go of stuff, liberating yourself. Sometimes you have to grieve the fact. And this happens during like the surrendering part, the breaking open part. Mm-hmm. What are we grieving? Sometimes we're, we're grieving a truth. We're we're we have a feeling of grief around a truth that the grieving involves coming to terms with something. Maybe it's coming to terms with something. That can never be, it's never going to happen in your life because not everything is going to happen in all of our lives, let's be honest, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we're sort of, we're we're knocking on, banging our heads against what we think is a door, but it's really a wall and it's never going to open for us, that particular thing. Sometimes the breaking down thing involves coming to terms with that and saying, that's really not for me. It's never going to be for me. There's a huge banquet of things that are for me, but this particular thing is not one of them. And just like accepting that, coming to terms with that, letting that go. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's a certain amount of grieving. How about the fact that we've all made mistakes? We've all done things that we, there's nobody that gets through life without some regrets. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's grieving around, okay, I did that. And, and uh, there's something a little broken as a consequence. Well, we cannot unring the bell. Mm-hmm. We cannot unring the bell. It happened. We're human. Every one of us will, will ha- make mistakes and have things to regret. But you don't have to carry that around with you. You don't have to be burdened with it. Once you acknowledge it, you can let it go. Mm-hmm. And grieve what must be grieved, accept what can be accepted, and then it's clean. It's clean. That this this is about cleaning up the mess of your your inner landscape. Mm-hmm. Truly, I don't know. This came to me, but I like it. I mean, it was, whatever. Cleaning up the mess of your your inner landscape, gardening your inner landscape pulling out the weeds, you know, (laughs) I mean, we can go on and on. Right. But I won't like make it ridiculous, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Voltaire said, cultivate your garden. And what is cultivating your garden? If not, you know, nurturing, nourishing the things you want to grow, but also weeding out the things that kept you small or just get in the way. Mm -hmm. They're not forward moving. They're not, they're just sort of, and some, t- some of that is inner, uh, you know, your inner tyrant coming up with fears or criticisms that do not serve you mm-hmm. and being able to, to have, have con- consciousness around that and also have compassion for yourself. Mm-hmm. We don't have anywhere near enough compassion for ourselves, most people in this culture, mm-hmm. right? Right. We don't, especially women, my God, women hold themselves to such a high standard,
0: mm-hmm. an
1: unrealistic standard frequently, like yes. physically, not to mention all the things they tend to juggle at once. Yeah. And, you know, it's crazy. It's Definitely. Just, yeah. It's, it's Definitely. if
0: anything, this pandemic has really caused a lot of people to reflect on a lot of these things have, as you say, that have kept us small. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know that there's a, a technique in psychotherapy, right, where you kind of go into those things and you, mm-hmm. you know, you try and find the relevance, you try and find yeah. where did it come from and yeah. where did it originate and what does it mean? And I think what you're talking about in the letting go is like not such a heavy emphasis on that. I mean, do we have really have time for that sometimes? You, I mean, I, you know, I know I put like over a decade of therapy in. <laughs> I don't know, like, where, where do you stand on how much of the content of what we know keeps us small needs to actually be worked through and how much of it can we move forward on? I'm not going to call them shortcuts, but, you know, once you see them, they, they start to dissolve. Yes,
1: yes. Um, yes, that is true, and I think one of the um, real shortcomings of conventional psychotherapy has been this this you know concept of the the uh, psychoanalyst that goes on you know forever rehashing every you know uh, every chapter, and mm-hmm. there's that reaches a point of diminishing return. Mm-hmm. I don't feel there's honestly there's a, I do not feel there's a strong argument. For doing these archaeological digs that go on forever. That being said, <laughs> you no, know, I mean it. Yeah. At some point, we blow the whistle on the ar- on the archaeological dig and just, you know, okay. So now, where do we go from here? And, and a lot of a lot of psychoanalysis focuses on analysis, but not vision. And mm-hmm. I think,
0: hang on, hang on. That's that's really nice. Yeah, well, versus vision, tell us, tell us more. I wanted to pause on that because that's powerful.
1: The thing is, there's, there's, as I said, there's just so much to get from going on the dig. It's important to do it to some degree so that you have awareness around what those experiences were that wounded you because we have all had them and you should, and it's important to get to know your wounds. Yes, but it's not necessary to keep dwelling on them. The question is where the rubber meets the road here is where, where do you go from here? Knowing that we have all had wounds,
0: mm-hmm.
1: how can you convert that into, uh, um, uh, you know, how can you take that experience and compost it in a way that it actually serves your life? You can compost the past in your garden. Here mm-hmm. and and then put your vision on what you're cultivating now. So I like to, I mean, when I see a brand new individual, of course, very respectfully and not in a hurried way, we go through the 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 uh, issues of the past that are relevant. But then, as soon as and I hold the space for that. But believe me, as soon as that individual is ready to make the shift into. Um, you know the awakening and the breaking through and the birthing, the emerging. As soon as they're ready for birthing the new and emerging, that's that's where I want to put the the primary focus because that's that's full of opportunity and promise. You know, and and you know, like opportunity energizes us, whereas obstacles immobilize us. Well, we've all had obstacles. We've all mm-hmm. had. Defeats. Dwelling on them is immobilizing. Focusing Mm -hmm. on opportunities is energizing, right? Yeah. So where are you going to, what are you going to put your focus on? If we're cultivating this garden, as every, you know, every wise person has said, Voltaire, I think um, Pablo Neruda has a beautiful poem about this too. You know, like God gave you this gorgeous rose garden. What did you do with it? You know, and in this poem, the guy has neglected his garden. It's just thorns and weeds. And, and he realizes he's chased the wrong things and he's neglected his own potential. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I love to focus on vision and, and having a creative response to what has happened mm-hmm. and, and healing and recovery is, is only one phase. It's, it's not all story. Mm. It's, it's just an, it's a necessary step, but nothing more than that. Mm-hmm. So, some of the most extraordinary people you'll ever know um, are people who were uh, sort of shaped by something traumatic that they found a way to compost, to use that's to say with that metaphor, and 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 surge ahead, and and it catalyzed their growth. Mm. It's actually a catalyst to their growth,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and. Um, once you absorb this whole concept and you, and you, and you are truly cultivating your garden and, and all this, um, you're less worried about the future. You are far less worried about the future because you've, you have a hard-won confidence, an authentic, really authentic confidence that comes from the inside out that things will happen that you won't like, but you will be able to handle it because you've been saying, I don't like it, but I can handle it. And you've seen yourself do it. And now you have this resilience, this confidence that when the shit hits the fan the next time, you may not like it, but you know now you're going to be able to handle it and get on the other side of it and let it go and be back to celebrating and, and laughing again and being creative again. Mm-hmm. and discovering discovering again
0: mm-hmm.
1: there's so there's there's endless discovery waiting for you endless discovery waiting for you no end to the opening up to it so you do this work not just because of the crisis de jour you do it because you want the rest of your life to be a, a life of of awareness and and light and um You know, discovery of of beauty of what is good and true and beautiful. There's so much um, in life that that has goodness and truth and beauty in in it. Just naturally, natural things that have goodness and beauty and truth. That the more we connect with those things, what is good and true and beautiful, the less fear we have in our life. It's it's the best neutralizing. sort of antidote to fear. Connect with what is good and true and beautiful. There's always something. And bit by bit, you just get, I don't know, you get stronger, you get more resilient. You're happier not because you took a course on let's get happy. You're happier because you are unburdened. You are unburdened. You're not um, struggling under the burden of of unprocessed glitch. Like when, I, when we did the, um, the presentation that was taped, I talked about the Exxon Valdez birds and that there was sludge on the wings of birds and biologists biologist came and, and cleared that sludge away and the birds could fly again. They were trying really hard to fly, but they couldn't as long as they were burdened with that sludge. And they were helped to get rid of it. And by the way this is another good part of this metaphor the, the field biologists helped remove the sludge with solvents, but then the birds finished, finished the job with their own preening and their own, um, you know, cleaning of their feathers. Once the big stuff was removed, they finished the, the, the project on their own, the birds did. And then they spread their wings and they could fly joyfully in the sky. And that's such an apt metaphor for like un, sort of unprocessed um, psychological burdens that keep us small. You may need help to, to get to, to get the heavy lifting part out of it, but then you finish the job yourself and then you fly because you could fly all along, right? I love that that metaphor. And I think we can all
0: relate to that. And I just feel so ready to shed the sludge. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we don't, you know, we think we got rid of part of it, but there's always a little feather here or there that still has some sludge, right?
0: Totally, totally. And I, I feel like um, what I love about your work and about this book and um about how you present is you weave in the inspirational metaphors and the poems with just downright practical exercises, um, things that we can actually do. It just feels so empowering that we can take some steps mm-hmm. and get to the other side. And that jelly bean that you put out there of really feeling happy and open like the flower that has bloomed that is letting in the light that it just feels like who doesn't want that what are we doing this for if we don't have that on the other end and yeah putting a stake in the ground for thriving as our human right is what Mm. i'm taking away with uh, from this yes we came here to flourish
1: yes that is our role (laughs) we came here to love each other and we came here to flourish yes Thank you so much, Chantal. It's always so much fun fun to have a conversation with you. I love it.
0: Yes, I love it too. And in the show notes, we'll have a link to the book, Post Traumatic Growth, Thriving in the Face of Adversity. Thank you so much, Brenda. It's been such a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much, Chantal.